getting something as I was preparing, and it happens to be the uh, handout to take notes on and the discussion question, so I'm sorry. Uh, that means that a small group leader, you will have to pay real close attention and derive some good study qu- or discussion questions for this Wednesday, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, let's pray. God, we are thankful uh, for who you are, and as we've looked into um, your attributes or the different things that that um, you consist of and different uh, things that show that you are God, uh, we've been excited to see you. Been excited to uh, to understand um, how far above us you really are. God, I pray that you would use that to impact our life, to change our lives. Um, God, we uh, we're in debt to you. Um, you've done so much for us. I pray, God, even as this this last time as we wrap up thinking about who you are here and your attributes, that we we would uh, not be cold, that we would not be numb, but that you would uh, um, lift us, um, lift our uh, our flesh away, and, and and just really let your Spirit work in us. I pray this in your name, Amen. These would be the last. Um, this is the last attribute of God that we're going to be looking at, and then we're going to look up uh, at a, a follow-up one here after it. So excited to go through that with you. Slow to lose patience is the, uh, the attribute that we're going to talk about for, for God. Um, and the, the, verse, the main verse that we're using is Numbers 14, verse 18. The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy. Long-suffering. The long-suffering of God. When McDonald says this about the long-suffering God, it is His willingness and ability to show restraint and self-control in dealing with human sin, provocation and rebellion. It is His willingness and ability to show restraint and self-control in dealing with human sin provocation, and rebellion. So the long-suffering of God is, is His attribute that is able to have patience with the fallen world. That is able to, to step back and wait as men continue to defraud His name by their actions. As men and, and, and women continue to do things that are contrary to His standards. And if you look at the world today, it's clear that, that a lot of that is taking place. Um, one of the things I hate to do the most is, is watch the news. I just can't stand it. Um, I feel depressed afterwards. I, I feel uh, frustrated. I feel upset. I feel, um, because there is, is so much that is going against what, what is right. There is so much happening in the world that, that is evil, that is wrong, that is, and it looks like chaos, and it looks like there's, there's uh, no hope, doesn't it? And uh, there's times... Um, when I begin to question, God, are, are you really in control? What are you doing? Why are you letting these things happen? Uh, and that attitude is, is a common attitude, something that we, we struggle with a lot. God, why, why is evil continuing to take place? Why are we continuing to have to deal with this? Um, why haven't you stepped in? Do you care anymore? Have you left us? And the answer is that the long-suffering of God, His willingness and ability to show patience, is the reason that evil still exists. And we're going to look at that and we're going to find out that it is not God's laziness, it's not God's uh, inability to care about really what's going on, but it's really God's love uh, that is is allowing uh, things to happen without Him stepping in and instantly correcting it. So we're going to look at this further. 
God's long-suffering. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says this, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed... This is when he's talking to Moses at Mount Sinai. He had just created the Ten Commandments on the, on the tablets. And this is what God says to Moses. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And we could stop there, but there's more. But that, that first part is what we're But then look at the second part. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Uh, the author in the book that we're going through just included the, the first part of the verse and then did that little dot, dot, dot trick. Um, but so the first part is what we're focusing on as far as looking at God's forbearance or, or God's long-suffering. Next verse here, let's see. Nahum. First time I ever used a verse from Nahum. In fact, I was surprised to learn this was a book in the Bible. I guess I knew it from the song, but I don't know if I've ever really thought about it. Nahum 1.3. I guess that I probably shouldn't. Whatever. Nahum 1.3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is His way. And clouds are the dust beneath His feet. Paul says this to the Christians that were living outside of God's will, that were Christians that were living on the earth against God's standard. He said this, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Do you hear those key words that are popping out? His kindness, His tolerance, His patience. He is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord passed by in front of the Lord God said, The Lord God compassionate gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Do you hear these words? This is the attribute of the God that is slow to lose patience, the long-suffering God. This is the root of this attribute. A God that is filled with compassion. A God that is gracious. A God that is slow to anger. And yet we look around and say, God, what are you waiting for? You ever had a rough day and uh, then you start realizing uh, or remembering you know, different things you heard about the rapture. You know, man, God could come back. Any- Now's a good time, God. <laughs> any time. And you say, what are you waiting for? I'm here. I'm good. And uh, as Christians, we, we start to question God sometimes about His plan, don't we? Um, God, man, it just seems out of control. I... Uh, there was a, a stat that came over the radio, and uh, it was uh, every uh, day 3,000 abortions in this country are carried out. That means that every 25 seconds a baby is killed. Um, and I heard that, and my heart said, God, what's going on? You, I don't get it. I don't understand. You hate that. You, I hate that. Why, is that. why are you allowing that to happen? Why aren't you punishing that? Why aren't you taking care of that? And uh, the truth is that by all appearances, if we, if we just went by what it seemed, it, it would seem that, that God was just turning the other cheek, wasn't He? That He was ignoring it, that He was letting that all 
take place without any consequence. That uh, He was not going to take care of that. And so I can become frustrated with the way God deals with people, can I? And I, I start getting impatient with God's ability to be patient with others. So why is He waiting? What's the holdup? What in God's plan is making Him say, no, a little longer, a little longer? There's a verse in 2 Peter 3.9 that I think really answers the question. First Peter, or Second Peter, I'm sorry, three nine. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? There's those key words again: kindness and tolerance and patience. Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Did I read the right verse? Let's go back one slide here. Oh, that's not the right verse. One more. We'll go. I'll read it out of this. I copied and pasted too many times. <laughs> so we'll go to Second Peter. I said that sounds good, but doesn't sound right. This is the verse instead. Second Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Listen to this. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see, as I'm uh, crying out, God, what are you doing? This world is wicked and evil. I'm feeling like Jonah. You know, Let them have it. And God's saying, Benji, wait. Wait, there's more. There's more that I need. There's more that I love. There's more that I have to bring to myself to see me, to know me. And uh, it's amazing that my heart can be cold enough to, to not realize that's what He's doing. Um, man, God, maybe God is waiting for you. Have you ever had this? Uh, sometimes I say, God, please don't send the rapture now because if you came now, I'd be embarrassed. If you came now... Uh, boy, what have I done, really? And maybe in, in, the, in the beautiful love of God, He is waiting for you to do these wonderful things that, that He longs for you to do. Waiting for you to pick up the clue phone and, and understand what it is that you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live. You see, in His patience, He is, he is waiting for a world to come back to Him. And there are many that He longs to save, many that He longs to change their eternity. Uh, and yet I don't see that, do I? I don't see that. Um, it was frustrating because I, uh, I was having one of those days where I really felt um, high and mighty like Jonah. And then I was checking my email and there it was. God sent me an email. Um, so I was reading it. And he just said, uh, the subject was your impatience and short memory. I was like, oh great, you know, another one from God here. So I opened it up. And it said, Dear Benji, I noticed your cold, unforgiving heart towards those that I love dearly. I know that for your forgetful heart, my timing seems a little off. But Benji, a little perspective, please. LOL. <laughs> I love you. 
your father. That was a harsh message to read that morning, and yet it was true. And he didn't, he didn't really send me. This is joking. Yeah. Some of you look concerned, like, man, I've got to get his email address. Um, but man, God is, is, this is me. And I've forgotten what he saved me from, haven't I? And as a Christian, it is, it is real easy to live in the world and, and be called to be separate from the world and then start to despise and hate and be angry at those that don't know God. You know, we, we start getting uh, upset with them and, and looking down on them and, and we want to separate ourselves, not in a way that we're not going to act like them, but we want to separate ourselves just to get away from them because how pitiful that they don't understand the truth of God when I clearly have it here. And we begin to get in this mindset uh, that, that is completely opposite of what God's heart is. You see, God's heart for His church is that we would be so vibrant with His love and patience and kindness that the dark world would get a, be able to get an understanding of who He is. That a, that a dark world lost would turn to a loving God. You see, judgment and wrath, it's coming. And those verses we read before, the tail ends of it, He promises it's coming. There will be a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that will be a wonderful and terrible day. And I look around and I say, God, what are you waiting for? You don't even know what you're doing. And yet there are, there are millions who are lost. Millions who have an eternity of hell awaiting them. And I, I, I'm ready. I, I, I start getting so upset at these people that are walking in darkness and, and doing these heinous things and, and doing these awful things. God, how can, how can you let that happen? And I forget who I am or who I was before God, don't I? My forgetful heart. And I really do believe God is saying this to us this morning. Benji, I know that for you... And your forgetful heart, my timing seems a little off, doesn't it? But a little perspective. A little of God's perspective. God is trying to do some amazing things in this world. And guess who He's asked to help carry those amazing things out? Me. And you. Not just you, sorry, all, all of you. And He has given us both time to be faithful to Him and show that, that we love Him and that we're serious about doing His Word. And He's also given time for those that need Him to come back to Him. God is incredibly patient. I, I, I struggle with patience so much. Man, I, I used to have, I feel like, a high tolerance and, and a lot of patience. And that was before kids. Kids have started to literally make me lose my mind. And I used to see um, parents in the grocery store you know, yelling at their kids, and I'd be like, oh, some parents can't keep it together. You know? This is when I was in college or high school. I was like, man, what a, what a gross... I'd never treat my kids that way. And I had kids. And uh, you start realizing that um, it is innate with parenthood that your mind starts to literally become uh, distorted and wrong. They do that to you. <laughs> and so my patients, I am uh, I, daily... Um, I bubble over now into, uh, you call it the danger zone. I bubble over where I'm, where I'm yelling at my kids. Um, 
Now, a lot of times it's not necessarily a devastating scream at them or anything, but it's definitely past the point of, of loving correction. And my patience level is just... It's not my fault, though. I have to share a story with you yes, from what happened yesterday, and you'll, you'll feel better for me, um, or at least bad for me. Maybe one of you will babysit for me more or not after you hear this. So yesterday, my little sweet baby boy Benson, who started crawling like two weeks ago, crawls to me. I'm in the kitchen, and uh, I can't remember if I, what I was doing, but I was in the kitchen, I think probably getting food. I do that a lot in the kitchen. And he was coming, and I picked him up, and I was hugging him and holding him. I started walking down the hall, and I'm like, oh, you a stinky boy. I need to change your diaper. So I lifted up his, his um, you know, to smell his bottom. That's what you do if someone... So, and uh, I'm like, no, you, like, man, you stink, but it doesn't smell like... And I look at his hands. And in his hands, um, he has, uh, forgive me, poopy. <laughs> in both hands. Like full, grown-up poopy. Not grown up, but bigger than his. And I'm, I'm thinking, what in the world? And I start freaking out. I go, Abby! Abby! And she comes around the corner. She was in the guest room. And, and she seems like, she does her, like, surprise. Like, I, I'm not going to do impression of it, but it's like almost a cackle. And, uh, and, and uh, she, I'm freaking out. And she's like, just hold on. I'm like, take him! Take him! And, and she's like, no, just relax. You're trying to get me to calm down. And she's like, I'm doing the dry heave thing. I go into the bathroom there and that, you know, that we're trying to. And I look down on the ground and there is the rest of where he had been. He had crawled in the bathroom, grabbed what was laying on the ground, the poopy, crawled all the way into the kitchen with it, and then up and, and onto his daddy. And then I, I, we were in the bathroom and there's a big mirror and I look and I have... Down, down my neck for my beloved son. And so we, we call in the only person who possibly could have done such a thing. Lauren, did you go potty on the floor? N- no, Daddy. Abby can always get it out of her way better. I just say, okay, go play. You know, but Abby's like, Lauren, tell Mommy the truth. Yes, Mommy. <laughs> And they were playing, and she had to go, and whatever. You get the picture of what I go through. I don't know if it, this is a normal thing that every parent has to deal with, but we have a lot of run-ins with this kind of stuff. I'm losing my mind. And my patience level is continuing to decrease and decrease with them, and I, I need to get it back. I need to uh, understand that I've been entrusted with them, and I need to have perspective. And I need to love them and, and, and tenderly correct them. Um, my patience level with, with you guys is stretched sometimes. And your patience level with me is stretched as we interact with one another. And yet we need to come back to the heart of God, don't we? This long-suffering, this patience, so that the best can t- be carried out. So that His purpose, so that His good can be carried out. Um, we have to get there with one another. We have to get there with the world. Um, we need to learn to act like our Father um, in this. Because His long-suffering and His patience um, is a beautiful attribute filled with kindness, filled with love, filled with uh, a desire for our good to happen. That was the last attribute um, 
of God. And so this is, um, we're going to do kind of a recap of, of why it was important even to study all these things about God. Why it was important to take a look at who He was and let that affect our lives. Um, and so the last thing uh, in the book, the last chapter in the book actually, it was, it's called Great is the Lord. And so hopefully, I think the author's intent of this book, William McDonald, was that you'd read all these attributes and that would come together and you would, you would stand back and say, wow, <laughs> wow. And this would be the response of our heart. That we would look at, at, at how big He is. And if you can recall some of the, I don't know, I had a, quite a few aha experiences as people were talking up here about who God is. And I, I just felt encouraged in my heart and excited about who God is. And as we look at who God is, this has to be our response. This has to be where we go to. Um, this morning as I was getting ready, I was watching, reviewing the, the Louis Giglio video that we watched. Um, Great is Our God, I think is the, was the name of it. Man, that was exciting stuff. Do you remember that? We watched that and he starts talking about the universe that God made, the stars. And that was awesome. And that got my heart ready uh, again to understand, God, you, you are great. Some Bible power. I want to show you some verses that, that uh, proclaim the greatness of God because I hope I got to watch that, that movie again, but I want to remind you how big our God is a little bit this morning again. Job 26.14 Job um, in this has is, is just had one of his um, genius friends try to tell him uh, what, what God was doing and Job thankfully was smart enough just to say you're dumb. And this... Before Job 26:14, he starts talking about God, uh, and he starts saying this. I'll, read, I'll start in verse 10. He has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters, at the boundary of the light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are amazed at his rebuke. He quieted the sea with his power, and by his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his breath the heavens are cleared. His hand has pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the fringes of His ways. And how faint a word we hear of Him. But His mighty thunder, who can understand? The beautiful thing about looking at God and, and looking at the attributes of God and, and, and getting a, a little bit more of understanding about who He is and coming to the end and, and taking it all in and saying, Whoa! God, You're big! I understand! The wonderful thing is to realize it's just the fringes. This is just a looking through the glass, clouded. You see, we have, have been given the Word of God, which is, is wonderful. We've been even given His, His Son, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to, to help us understand and to know God. And yet the truth is, the reality is, that we know this much of God. And the discipline and the joy and the excitement is the fact that no matter what we do, we will never be exhausted in our search and understanding for God, will we? Because He is bigger than we can understand. Psalm 104, 32, He looks at the earth and it trembles. This is cool. He touches the mountains and they smoke. This is in reference to a volcano. Have you ever seen the mass um, destruction and, and the immense power of a volcano um, erupting? It's exciting. And this says, those are, happens when God touches them. 
pretty crazy. Psalm 147, 4-5 says this, He counts the number of the stars. Okay, so he has an idea, he has an understanding, which, by the way, the stars have been likened, uh, the amount of stars in the known universe have been likened to the, about the amount of grains of sand in all the beaches in all the world. That's probably the count of, of stars that we're looking like, looking for in our universe. And so, he counts the number of stars and he gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Psalm 113, 4-6, The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high, who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and are in the earth. This was my favorite verse out of all of them. Uh, Whoever uh, saw Star Trek? Any Trekkies in here? I think it's the one... I, I think this is the right one. This is Star Trek... Six, the undiscovered country. And I, I believe this is one where they go in searching for the, the edge of the universe. Is that right? Or is that the one before? Oh, that's five. Oh. Yeah. What? That's what I... That's five. Yeah, it's five. I didn't know either, man. I thought it was... I looked at all the things and I was trying to figure out... The Final Frontier is the name of this. So this is just a Star Trek reference. Let's go back then. And they are searching for the edge of the universe. And they don't really understand, they don't really know what they're, uh, what, they're, what they're looking for. And they get to the end of the universe and there's this like barrier thing that they go through, nearly destroys the ship and, and it's the, the edge of the realm, the known realm that they're in, okay? They're at the very outskirts, so if you can imagine the u- edges of the universe as far as they go and if you can remember the illustrations that Louis Giglio about li- what light years are and what that means. They're at the very edges of that. And they sneak out of the universe through this warp zone type thing. Crazy. Lots of bright colors. Great. And on the other side, lo and behold, here they run into this awesome power, which is laughable if you go back and look at the effects now of how they made it an awesome power, but whatever. And it's God. They think they they have found God sitting on the outside of the universe. Here He is. Here is where He exists. And uh, obviously it wasn't God. It was just this really spiteful, angry, bitter power that tried to kill him. So it wasn't God. So they uh, drove back and they said to the genius, like, well, I guess maybe God is just a thought in our head. So <laughs> but that wasn't... You'll have to see the movie. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. But still see it. <laughs> but the point is what I got from that is that the idea and, and, and the idea of when I always think of heaven when I think of well, he's up in the clouds you know God, Abby says why or Maya Abby doesn't say it why is God up in the clouds you know she's always asking questions like that and sometimes I get to the point where I'm thinking that way that yeah maybe heaven is just right above earth you know um, and yet this this implies that God uh, being, out, and we even had one of the attributes that talked about this, God being outside of all that He created um, and completely separate, completely existent outside of all this. Um, and this verse says He has to humble Himself 
to the point where He can even look in to all that He made. He has to bring Himself low so that He can open up the window and look upon what He created. Isn't that wild? Someone else uh, made Himself low and came to earth. His Son, Jesus. And when He came to earth, He humbled Himself to the point of the cross. And He took on all this sin and all this garbage and all our junk and He paid for it on the cross. And to think, just put it in perspective, that God Himself, when He's looking at heaven, it's because He's lowered Himself even to look. And so to think of God Himself coming to earth in the form of a baby, in the form of the weakness and frailty, and frailty doesn't do it justice, of, of the stupidity of man is a wild thought. And if we don't understand how great our God is, that thought will elude us, won't it? But great is our Lord. Why think on God? Why do we take the time to look at His attributes? Why do we take the time to contemplate who He is? Why do we even bother? Um, This was the summary. What is the greatest thought that can occupy the human mind? The contemplation of God. Human intellect can find no subject more lofty and more worthy than this. No other theme comes close. Thinking about God is the highest occupation, the most sublime exercise of our mental faculties. Thinking about God is the highest exercise. Going throughout my day, there is certainly a lot more than I think about than God, isn't there? And uh, it is a a struggle to get myself to focus in on who God is. It is a a constant battle to, to get past my own stupidity to take the time to understand who He is. And yet, if we have a little perspective, if we think about what's important, even this morning as we're going through what's need, what's want, That helps you to kind of, when we do those things, it helps us to kind of narrow down what's real and what's important, doesn't it? Let's do that this morning with God because if we narrow down what is real and what is true and what matters most and what has the most significance, this is it. It's God Himself. You see, in comparison to thinking on God, in comparison to spending time with God, in comparison to doing anything with God, everything else is what? Nothing. It doesn't matter. It's insignificance. See, there is nothing greater, there is nothing bigger, there is nothing better than God. Yet that's not how I live. That's not my day. I give him a few mornings uh, here and, and a few afternoons there and a few minutes in between there. And yet it's crazy to think about how much of my time of my day is spent on things that don't even matter? Spent on things that can't even compare. And I spend tons of energy. The Minnesota Vikings is the thing that pops into my mind. I spend tons of energy figuring out this team that I put loyalty in. 
And you have your own Minnesota Vikings, you know, not just another team, but you have your own thing, don't you? That you've put your energy and your focus into. And we spend hours upon hours, and it comes naturally, it comes easily for us to think on these things and to put our energy and our passion into those things. And yet for me to get passion about God, for me to get excited about the things of God, man, why is that so hard? Because in comparison, there's just no comparison. Saturday morning, we're having uh, guys' Bible studies. Let me tell you, it has been exciting. We talk about God, who He is. And you know what? I leave with this euphoric feeling, with this, this feeling. Because I just spent an hour to two hours investing my mind into the greatest thing that there is, God Himself. And I leave changed. I leave filled. I leave excited. I leave encouraged. I leave with purpose. That's good. Why is it so hard to think about God? See, this is my attitude. Great is the Lord. And this is how I treat God. This is how my thoughts and my importance of of who God is, is, this is the reality of what I believe about God. Pretty okay is the Lord. Why? And we as, as a culture, as a, a church in the United States, and, and we even in this church, narrowing it down, we have, we have become blinded in so many ways about what's real and what's important and what matters. So much to the point that when we say, why aren't I satisfied? Why aren't I, why aren't I fulfilled? And why, why don't I care about things? Why isn't there more purpose? We've dumbed things down. We've put our purpose in things that don't matter. And so our God has become just pretty okay. And so the challenge is now that we've looked at who God is and, and as we've asked the Spirit to, to allow that to change us, that now we go back to the times that we had. When, remember when you were first saved, the passion and the knowledge of who He was and how that just changed you, how that rocked your world, how that, that made everything different. Wow, life, life will be different. We've got to go back to that. And we have an opportunity with this study to do that. We have an opportunity at the end of a study like this to look and say, God, that's who you are. Now I'm going to treat you like who you are. We are numb. Looked up the, uh, the definition on the Internet, so I'm sure there's better ones, but said this, asleep, lacking sensation such as my foot is asleep, numb with cold, dead, not showing human feeling or sensitivity, unresponsive. It's way too many days, uh, way too many weeks, which make up months, where my life is numb, where my feelings towards God are numb. I thought it was pretty good... uh, when it said, my foot is asleep. When, if we, now it's cheesy, but if we look at it, uh, the body of Christ and how each part makes up the body of Christ. A hand over here, a, a foot over there, a toe over there. When we look at this and we understand that, that as together as a church, we will represent to the world who God is. We will represent to one another who God is. This is a scary thing, isn't it? If my foot is asleep. 
You see, if we have a, a, a general feeling of apathy towards God, if we have a general feeling of, of who cares towards God, we will suffer. And it's not just that I hurt myself when I, when I don't focus my attention and my desires and my, my passion on, on the Lord. I'm hurting everyone in this room. My inability to, to understand who God is and let that change me and change my priorities and my thinking and my actions hurts you and you and you. And likewise. So every action you do, every thought you have affects me. There's a responsibility to that. And uh, every once in a while I'll get the opportunity to speak at, at camp. And, and the first battle of the first part of the week is just getting them to care. These young people, getting them to care that there is a God and that, that He has anything to do with you. And the exciting part is by the end of a week where they've taken the time to separate from the world, to separate from the culture, to get away from the doctrine that said God is dead and come to a place where, where they've been allowed to be fed the truth of who God is and how that should change them. Boy, the end of the week, the results are just exciting. And whoever here has had the chance to go to, a, to Bible camp at the end of the week, that last Friday night, man, people are revved up because they have invested that week into knowing God. And their heart is saying, how great is our God. And as a church, we need to, if you will, go to Bible camp. We need to separate from these, these passions that we have uh, in the world because they don't mean anything. And we need to make God our, our focus, our everything. And we can't do that alone. We can't do it isolated. Um, but to be indifferent is a scary thing. My, uh, my friend Aaron Harlow talks about how if he's in that place where he's not following after Satan and striving after sin and doing evil things, but he's also not striving after the Lord and, and doing things for the Lord, he says, man, Satan's winning. I'm just doing nothing. We cannot be still. We cannot be quiet. We cannot let ourselves think that this is all there is here on earth. But together, we've got to move past this. We've got to move further. We have to say, Spirit, God, please change us. Let's pray to that end. God, uh, who You are is so amazing and so powerful and so big, God, that I have such trouble wrapping my mind around it, letting... Uh, letting it soak in so that I can really uh, understand You. That's a hard thing because You're so big. And yet, God, You've made Yourself known to us in, in such a powerful way. God, the, the idea that, that You live in me is, uh, is a crazy thing. It's ridiculous, but it's true. The thought, God, that, that You would take the time to bind up the brokenhearted, that in your immensity and your hugeness and your vastness you still care about me and care about us is, uh, is so good. God, we have been stuck um, standing still and not doing anything. We have been stuck pursuing our own passions and our own desires and uh, we, we're not doing anything. We need You to come and, and, and push us past uh, where we are. We need You as a, as a church to encourage us, to, to lift each other up. God, because 
If someone's lagging behind, if someone is still asleep, man, we can't go any further. God, we need You to just do a radical miracle in in this church and in our hearts um, so that we can say how great is our God. Fill us. Change us. uh, Please be...